offering our respectful obeisances unto the lotus feet of our spiritual master, Shishiman Eishi Bokiran Dibushan Maharaj Prabhupada, who has kindly come to us who are all standing in darkness with our eyes closed shut and is forcing our eyes open with this torchlight of knowledge. We're trying to follow in the footsteps of Rupa Goswami and get his kripa, get his mercy for understanding the science of Sadhana Bhakti. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that if we do not have transcendental love for him, then we should practice the regulative principles of Bhakti Yoga, whereby we shall gain a desire to achieve him. So we have to fall down at the feet of the Acharyas and give their mercy and their instruction for carrying out the regulated principles of Bhakti Yoga so that our desire can be reformed to Krishna. We're studying the Nectar Devotion, Evidence Regarding Devotional Principles, page 60, to follow in the footsteps of saintly persons. In the Skanda Purana, it is advised that a devotee follow the path to charges and saintly persons, because by such following one can achieve the desired results, with no chance of lamenting or being baffled in his progress. In the scripture known as Brahma Yamala, it is stated as follows. If someone wants to pose himself as a great devotee without following the authorities of the revealed scriptures, then his activities will never help him to make progress in devotional service. Instead, he will simply create disturbances for the sincere students of devotional service. Those who do not strictly follow the principles of revealed scriptures are generally called sohidya. Those who have imagined everything to be cheap and who have their own concocted ideas and who do not follow the scriptural injunctions, such persons are simply creating disturbances in the discharge of devotional service. In this connection, an objection may be raised by those who are not in devotional service and who do not care for the revealed scriptures. An example of this is seen in Buddhist philosophy. Lord Buddha appeared in the family of a high-grade Chatriya king, but his philosophy was not in accord with Vedic conclusions and therefore was rejected. Under the patronage of a Hindu king, Maharaj Ashok, the Buddhist religion was spread all over India and the adjoining countries. However, after the appearance of the great stalwart teacher, Sankaracharya, this Buddhism was driven out beyond the border of India. The Buddhists or other religionists who do not care for revealed scriptures sometimes say that there are many devotees of Lord Buddha who show devotional service to Lord Buddha and who therefore should be considered devotees. In answer to this argument, Rupa Goswami says that the followers of Buddha cannot be accepted as devotees. Although Lord Buddha is accepted as an incarnation of Krishna, the followers of such incarnations are not very advanced in their knowledge of the Vedas. To study the Vedas means to come to the conclusion of the supremacy of the personality of Godhead. Therefore, any religious principle which denies the supremacy of the personality of Godhead is not accepted and is called atheism. Atheism means defying the authority of the Vedas and decrying the greater charges who teach the Vedic scriptures for the benefit of the people in general. Lord Buddha is accepted as an incarnation of Krishna in Srimad Bhagavatam, 
But in the same Srimad Bhagavatam, it is stated that Lord Buddha appeared in order to bewilder the atheist class of men. Therefore, his philosophy is meant for bewildering the atheists and should not be accepted. If someone asks, why should Krishna propagate atheistic principles? The answer is that it was the desire of the Supreme Personality of Godhead to end the violence which was then being committed in the name of the Vedas. The so-called religionists were falsely accusing or using the Vedas to justify such violent acts as meat-eating. And the Lord Buddha came to lead the fallen people away from such a false interpretation of the Vedas. Also, for the atheist class, Lord Buddha preached atheism so that they would follow him and thus be tricked into devotional service to Lord Buddha or Krishna. So, there is a revelation of a great ignorance which has covered the world for thousands and thousands of years in all religions. This ignorance is that they are unable to catch up the three important factors in spiritual development. What are these three important factors? One is called the Shastra, one is called Guru, and one is called Acharya, the saintly persons in the past. These three things are necessary in order to ply along clearly to the destination of unalloyed devotional service or love of God. For many, many years, there have been exponents of different branches of the Vedic knowledge. But because the Acharya Dev, one who knows the conclusion, saintly person of the Vedas, is not respected by the people in general. Therefore, they take the injunctions of the various branches of the Vedas to be simply moral codes meant for conducting a society with the sole aim of achieving the results of religiosity, namely karma, moksha, and arpa. These things are desired by materialistic persons. First of all, they want to have some result from their work, pious activity. They want to be elevated to the heavenly planets, etc. Enjoy godly delights. That's popular in all religions of the world. Even in Lord Buddha's Lotus Sutra, it's given that one may be elevated to the heavenly kingdoms and enjoy for his austerity. So, they're trying to achieve godly delights by their pious activity. They want, ultimately, to have sufficient sense gratification in this lifetime as well. And at the end, they want liberation or to become merged when they're tired of all this into the absolute. So, people in general, without respecting those who have come to the conclusion of the Vedas, the saintly persons, take the Vedic conjunctions to be a reservoir for fulfilling their desires for these three things. Sense gratification, elevation, and liberation. So, for a long time, it's been a great struggle for the real Acharyas, saintly persons, to bring the people in general to the right path of devotional service. Lord Jesus Christ, for example, was persecuted severely by the followers of the Old Testament because he performed certain activities that were not in line with the injunctions of the Scripture. There is one incident where they were 
told that they could not perform certain miracles on such and such a day. And Lord Jesus Christ was known to be performing miracles on that day. So they criticized that, oh, he's not following the injunctions of the Scripture. Therefore, he must be a bogus spiritual master, just like we think bogus spiritual master. So they actually were convinced that Jesus Christ was a bogus yogi, a bogus spiritual master, because he was not following the principles, certain rules and regulations of the Scripture. However, because they were materialistic persons, they couldn't perceive that the Acharya is not bound up by the rules and regulations of the Scripture, moral codes, ethical codes, codes for elevation to the heavenly planets, to not bind a pure devotee of the Lord. He is free to act according to his discretion for the satisfaction of the Lord and for bringing the people back to the will of the Lord, namely pure and alloyed devotion and love. Therefore, he was acting as guru. The guru is able to decide which injunction can be applied at a certain time and which injunction is not applicable at a certain time. That's why adhering to scripture is not enough. You have to adhere to scripture and guru. And guru is also not enough unless he's in line with the saintly persons of the past. In other words, not just any self-acclaimed man can come forward and make discrimination about what policies can be followed in the scriptures. He has to be living the lifestyle of the saintly persons of the past. Therefore, these three things are always necessary in order to not be bewildered by the activities of great devotees. One has to understand Shastra, one has to understand Guru, and one has to understand saintly persons of the past. So, Prabhupada is mentioning some saintly persons in the past, Lord Buddha, Lord Sankaracharya. There's a great history in this connection that Vyasadeva compiled all these Vedic knowledge, all the branches of the Vedas, Puranas, Mahabharata, in a story form which would be suitable for the people in this age. Mahabharata especially, which contains Bhagavad Gita, was meant to be preached to the masses of people so that they could become interested in the story of these great personalities and at the same time hear the great philosophy of Vedanta. So, he passed it on to his disciples and they brought it to the different corners of the world. The great Chatriya kings, some of them, were forcibly kicked out of India. Many of them became degraded and thus the philosophy in general was used for these mundane purposes. Elevation to heavenly planets, sense gratification, and ultimate liberation. Therefore, in all countries, you take Egypt, you take the European Celtic races, you take the Greeks, all these different classes of men, Mayan Indians, all of them have some little bit of knowledge of the Vedas. But if you study their culture, they simply were after these things. It's elevation to heavenly planets, the sense gratification, this liberation. Therefore, Vyasadeva's original purpose of the Vedas was misunderstood. This was actually criticized to Vyasadeva by his spiritual master, Naramuni, that your compilation of the Vedas, although very, very intricate and full with knowledge of the Supreme Brahman, will be insufficient to protect them from the onslaught of material nature, and thus their minds will be oscillated like a boat on the water as to what is the real goal. Just like a boat being oscillated on the water, it can't find out the real direction, the real goal. So similarly, the minds of the people in general, hearing all this Vedic knowledge, these different branches of knowledge, they'll become oscillated, not knowing what is the real goal. 
So, not only criticize Vyasadeva, that better you would have spent your time simply glorifying Krishna and not forget all this other. Better you should have just glorified Krishna in devotional service and the pure devotees of the Lord. And then their minds could have focused on this one point. However, not everyone will accept devotional service and focusing their mind on the service of the Supreme Lord. Therefore, the other branches of the Vedas are also necessary, but they're misguided. They're necessary, but they're also misguided. So herein lies the great difficulty for the living entity, in this age especially, Kali Yuga, that he has a tendency to not be able to grasp the conclusion, the Siddhanta, of the scriptures. And thus, he's led by the same materialistic desires, and he uses the scriptures for his mundane purposes. I've had many experiences traveling and opening temples where I met people of varieties of religions, Mormon religion, Catholic religion, Jewish religion, Christian, Jesus freak, etc., etc. And all of them very proudly, boldly presenting their scripture. But what is their goal? It's the materialistic goal. But they're using the scripture for that end. That is why Lord Buddha is described here as appearing. He denied the Vedas. He revolted against the authority of the Vedas because the people in general are misusing them. And therefore, better they should not touch them at all and misuse them. Better they should simply follow Lord Buddha's ethical and moral codes of the Lotus Sutra. So, this has been a mania, a disease, all over the world, that without any respect for the Acharyas, people are taking the scripture and saying, oh, see, it says here, sometimes people will approach us in the street, oh, in the Bible it says that incense is demonic to offer to God. Sometimes you hear this. You're passing out incense and some Christian will come up, oh, now I know you're a demon because you're passing out incense. But we also remember that the men that supposedly came to Jesus when he was born were bringing frankincense and myrrh. They were also demons? That they can't answer. Because they're simply trying to use the scripture for creating some sectarian disturbance on the path of the eternal religion, the universal religion, which is loving devotion and service. All these sectarian personalities Muslims, Christian Jews, this and that. These persons are all using their various scriptures in order to create sectarian boundaries and party sentiments, which are the greatest enemy of devotional service. So you should know that these persons are not devotees. They're non-devotee demons because they're using the words of God in order to create up disturbance on the path of devotional service. Therefore, they're actually demons. Don't be deluded by their fervor. Hitler, his Third Reich, they were also very enthusiastic. But they were enthusiastic on the wrong cause. One can be inspired in the mode of passion. One can be inspired in the mode of ignorance. To do all abominable things. Just because one is inspired, that doesn't mean that it's good. Just because someone can show some mystic jugglery does not mean that it's spiritual. Spiritual means unalloyed love for the personality of God, not mystic juggling. So, you should have enough knowledge of the scriptural conclusion of Shastra, Guru, and saintly persons that you'll be able to defend yourself and others from the onslaught of this party feeling and sectarian sentiments and this misuse of the scriptures in general. So, 
sometimes people will make this argument that devotees of Jesus Christ, devotees of Lord Buddha, devotees of this or that, they should also be accepted as pure devotees because they are dedicating their lives to these personalities. But actually, if we test and see, we can understand that actually they're not devoting themselves to these personalities because even the teachings of these personalities were in somewhat misleading form, impersonal form. They did not describe the Supreme Personality of Godhead and his beautiful features and his attractive features in pastimes. Therefore, their teachings are bewildering because they do not come to the conclusion. Therefore, one should accept Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, as the spotless word of God because, as was advised to a great incarnation of God, Vyasadeva, literal incarnation, by his guru, Narada Muni, Better you should have not spent your time describing anything else. You should have simply fixed up your knowledge on Krishna, Krishna's pastime, name, form, entourage. Then you'll feel satisfaction and you'll be doing the highest good for the human beings. So it should be understood that for the reformation of the envious people in general, the teachings of Lord Buddha, the teachings of Lord Jesus Christ, the teachings of the other portions of the Vedas are necessary but misleading. That should be understood by all of us. They are necessary for envious persons in order to curb down their envious nature. For example, the Hatha Yoga system. It's a mechanical way of controlling the breathing process, the sitting posture, the eating, the sleeping, the mating, the thinning, in order to gain control of the senses. Therefore, it is considered to be curbing down the envious nature of the living being, but it's misleading. Because one comes to the conclusion that, oh, I am all powerful. I'm controlling my senses and I'm moving the planets, they're saying like that. So it's misleading. It's necessary, but misleading. It may be good until one has the opportunity to come into association of a pure devotee. Just as Vyasadeva was certainly fixed up in vow, complying all the Vedas, and that was good, but it was not completely satisfying. Therefore, he required to be instructed by the great Narada Muni as to the cause of his dissatisfaction, which was found out to be insufficient knowledge and glorification of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his attractive feature. So this should be understood by all of us. There is only one eternal religion, and that is the religion of devotional service unto the Personality of Godhead, glorifying his name, fame, entourage, and pastimes. And all other religious principles are considered to be simply curbing down the envious nature of the living being, preserving him until he has the good opportunity to associate with a pure devotee of the Lord, like Narada Muni, who can give him the conclusion of life. This should be fixed in all our minds, so that we know that we've come to the topmost yoga system, Christian consciousness, just as Prabhupada describes, the topmost philosophy. All other religions are contained within Bhagavad Gita, all other principles, moral code, ethical codes, are contained within Sumat Bhagavatam, and yet there's much, 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 much more. So, this is the eternal religion, Sanatan Dharma, eternal religion of the soul, that which can never be taken away. Heat can never be taken from fire, liquidity can never be taken from water. Similarly, Sanatan Dharma, Bhakti Yoga, can never be separated from the living being. One can separate from Christian Hindu Jew. One cannot separate from devotional service. He must be devoted and serve something. 
that's a fact. So, this knowledge, Prabhupada gives great stress to this in the beginning chapters of Srimad Bhagavatam, Sanatana Dharma, the eternal religious principle, that we are not introducing some sectarian philosophy. We have the whole history of this universe and many other universes. In Srimad Bhagavatam, we have the history of the creation, we have the history of the pre-creation, we have the history of the spiritual world, we have the history on, on, on information about the activities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, this is the missing knowledge that the world is hankering after, just as Vyasadeva was hankering after it, so all of the living beings, no matter how austere or fixed up in vow they may be, they're hankering after this knowledge. Therefore, a devotee has nothing to learn of these other philosophies. He has nothing to gain from these other religious principles because he's already come to the hundredth floor of the spiritual ladder. When one has come to the hundredth floor, he's already come to the fiftieth floor, sixtieth floor, seventieth floor, all other floors. So when one has come to the path of bhakti yoga, he already understands all other principles and what the motive is for practicing them, what the result is for practicing them, everything he knows. He knows the modes of material nature, how they're acting on the living beings, forcing them to accept religions in the different modes, worshiping at the tombs of dead men, in the mode of ignorance, ghosts and spirit and occult philosophies in the mode of ignorance. He knows them worshiping in the mode of passion, powerful scientists and men. He knows them in the mode of goodness, worshiping the demigods for material results. And he knows what is the transcendentalist. Worshiping through favorable devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, a devotee knows everything. All there is in the material world, according to Krishna and Bhagavad Gita, is the interaction of these gunas in time. That's all there is in this material world. So, one who understands these things, he knows everything about this material world. And if one knows Krishna, then he knows about the spiritual world. And he knows everything. So, this confirms that. When your intelligence has come out of this dense forest of delusion, then everything will be revealed to you, just as the sun reveals everything in the daytime. In the night, everything appears as the one, merged. But when the sun has arisen, then you can see everything in its real variety, presence. So similarly, in material darkness, the most we can conclude is that everything is one, impersonal, reactionary philosophy. But when the Krishna sun is arisen within your heart, then you can understand everything in its variety and its connection with Krishna. One who has the Krishna sun arisen within his heart, according to Srimad Bhagavatam, cannot be in darkness about anything relative or absolute. What does that mean? That he can be in darkness about anything relative or absolute. There are so many relative truths. When shall I leave for the airport? How shall I do this? What time shall I start? There's so many relative truths. Always the devotees are perplexed about these relative truths. Should I get married? Should I not get married? This oh, this What to do? What to do? But one who has the Krishna son of wisdom within his heart, he knows about these relative truths. And what to speak, he knows the absolute truth. He knows about Krishna. Nobody can know about Krishna completely, but as far as Krishna reveals himself, can understand. So, one who's controlled his mind and senses, he's reached the super soul. 
And the super soul informs him how to carry out the relative and the absolute truth. He informs him. Just like our spiritual master is divine grace, we all know many examples how he knows everything about relative and absolute truth. He is able to decide accurately at every moment what is to be done. He is able to know what is most auspicious to be performed at a particular moment when there are so many things that could be done. Why? Because he's in direct touch with Krishna and he knows what Krishna's preference is. He's not bewildered like Arjuna was bewildered in the beginning in the Bhagavad Gita. What is most auspicious? On one hand, I'm supposed to fight because I'm a Chatriya. On the other hand, they're my grandfather. I'm not supposed to kill them. He didn't know what is most auspicious to be performed. See? But when he controlled his mind and senses, being convinced by Krishna's instructions, then he agreed to act under Krishna's instruction. Krishna sat on his chariot. Arjuna, you kill him now. Oh, but Krishna, this one is not even with his weapons. He's not even on his chariot. Krishna says, kill him. So he killed him immediately. A completely immoral act. Kill him. Because the supreme morality is to act on the order of Krishna. So only one who has Krishna riding in his chariot and giving him instructions as you shoot here, if you do this now, you go here now, you get married, you don't get married, you do this, he's able to know what is to be done, what is not to be done. Others, they only do the wrong thing. Always do the wrong thing. Krishna consciousness is not artificial. Either we come to the point of having that Krishna son arisen within our heart, thereby being able to understand Krishna's desire in the relative and absolute, or we have to remain on the platform, mental platform, speculating what is to be done, what is not to be done. Now, in our beginning stages, it's not expected that we should have the Krishna Sun arisen within our heart immediately. And therefore, the spiritual master acts as the external representation of Krishna and gives us directly instruction. You do like this. You rise at this time. You bathe now. You take care of this detail, that detail. In this way, if you don't have the Krishna Sun risen in your heart, you can be preserved until that time when the Krishna Sun arises from your heart by carrying out the same order coming down from the lips of the spiritual master. So the spiritual master is the external representation of the super soul because he gives you instruction how to perform activity. Now, a natural problem for most devotees is, well, Prabhupada isn't always here to ask about so many details then how do we make any decision? Are our hands tied that we can't do anything? But we should understand this from the letters of our spiritual master, that he may give us a general instruction. You manage nicely. So stay like that. You manage this nicely. So the details how to manage, he may not have given. And by inquiries from older god brothers, he may not be able to find it out how it was done in the past, properly, in detail. But you have to think like this, that since my spiritual master ordered me to manage nicely, therefore the details will be revealed to me if I carry out his organization of his instruction without any other motive. Simply, I have to make decisions in order to manage nicely for his instruction. Prabhupada says in his letter that Along with the order of the spiritual master comes the ability to carry it out. So we should know with faith and conviction 
that if we carry out a general instruction from our spiritual master without any other motive except to satisfy his order, then the details of that instruction will be revealed to us. This is the beauty of Krishna consciousness, that you actually get a tangible experience in this way of the transcendental relationship between yourself and the spiritual master. That even though he's not there personally giving me detailed instruction, I know what to do because I'm acting only on his instruction. Therefore, I know what decision to make. So, even this may not come at first because after all, there are so many personal motives that enter in many times. But if we keep association with older godbrothers, older devotees, then we'll be able to see their example, how they're carrying it out nicely. Although they know all so many details, they're not perplexed. They're making decisions, hundreds of decisions daily. You see, with faith and conviction, therefore I simply have to align myself with their activities and I'll become also engaged. To learn this art, how to carry out the order of the spiritual master with faith and conviction that along with his order comes the ability to carry it out. That the Krishna Son will rise in my heart if I simply act on his order without any other motive and the details of all relative and absolute truths are revealed to me. This is confirmed in the Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita that even if the spiritual master does not instruct the disciple, Krishna himself from within will give this disciple full instruction if he's sincere to carry out the order. Sincere means to carry out the order with faith and conviction that everything will be revealed to simply do this. And the order is not very difficult. Chant Hare Krishna. You see, eat Krishna Prasadam, go on the street saying Kirtan, preach, spread Krishna consciousness, go on pushing forward, don't be satisfied that, oh, now I have a nice temple, everything is nice, now I can just sit back. No. You have to go out and defeat the rascals like Lord Chaitanya went out. He didn't stay in the temple. He went out and he approached the scientists. Sarabhuma Bhattacharya, Prakasananda Saraswati, they were great impersonal scientists. He approached them, he defeated them and converted them. So, since we're following in the line of Lord Chaitanya, we also have to do that. Uh, we can't be satisfied that, oh, now we have a nice, beautiful temple. No. Following in Lord Chaitanya's success means to go out and convert these rascals. That is Lord Chaitanya's movement. Do you have any questions or comments? Follow the footsteps of saintly persons. Yes, you can know one who has the Krishna Son risen within his heart because Prabhupada says he's godly hearted. He doesn't speak anything except the service of the Lord, the pastimes of the Lord, and the instructions of the Lord. If you meet someone whose only topic is the instructions of the Lord, the service of the Lord, and the pastimes of the Lord, then you should know that he has fixed himself on the lotus feet of Krishna. No other business except these things. Pastimes, instructions, for That's also in this book, Victor Dosh. Everything, every answer to every question is in this book, Victor Dosh. Any other questions or comments? You should think about this one principle that scripture is not enough. One has to have guru and he has to have knowledge of saintly persons in the past. That is the only sure platform. Any other platform, you're bound to be misled by your own desires. Unless you get these three things fixed up, Shastra, Guru, Saintly Persons, then you're bound to be misled and mislead others. Just like all these other sects are doing. They crucified Jesus for this reason. 
because they didn't understand the principle of Guru along with Scripture. Therefore, they crucified him. So they thought they were doing it on the basis of Scripture. Oh, he's a rascal. Kill So we have to protect ourselves from this type of delusion. It's a mania. So we protect ourselves in this way. Informing ourselves about Guru, Scripture, and saintly persons. Try to see how the whole fate of the world has been condemned because they haven't understood these three things. All these religions are condemned because they haven't understood these three things. Just these three things have condemned the whole world because they refuse to understand them, accept them. So, if you want to save this condemned world, then you have to bring the knowledge of Guru, Scripture, and Sikhi persons. Yes. The solution I've already given you that these sub-religious principles are meant to curb down the envious nature of the living being. So, if his envious nature is curbed down and he does get association with the pure devotee of the Lord, then he'll become a bhakta. No, the idea is that there's no question of devotional service in connection with Lord Buddha's teachings. However, Lord Buddha's mission was to curb down their envious nature, which may lead them to devotional service. Just like the conclusion of all the Vedas is devotional service to Krishna. However, the branches of the Vedas by themselves, without the revelation of an Acharya, a great spiritual master, will lead one to moksha or to come. So everything depends upon coming eventually into association of this pure philosophy, Krishna consciousness. However, these other things may preserve one in the mode of goodness until such a time comes. They may preserve one on that platform so that he will be able to take advantage of the teachings of the devotee when they come. So it can be considered as a preliminary position for devotional service. That's also stated in Bhagavad Gita. That as far as the impersonal philosophy is concerned, it may be good up until the time one has association with a pure devotee. But there is difficulty, there is risk. This is a great point of understanding this age of Kali. That people are envious in order to curb down their envy, scriptures in the mode of passion scriptures meant for those in the world of ignorance have to be injected into society by great incarnations of God like Lord Buddha, Lord Jesus Christ, etc. But at the same time, there's a great difficulty which results because then their minds are oscillated and they don't know what is the real path. Therefore, there are hundreds of sects all over the world with hundreds of different conclusions and all of them wrong. So their envious nature has been curved down somewhat. We can see the great work that Lord Jesus, Lord Muhammad, Lord Buddha have done in the world. They've obviously curbed down the envious nature of the world. But at the same time, now there's a million different sects, and nobody knows what is the conclusion. And they are fighting over this one and that one. So you see the difficulty the world is in. Yes, it's bewildering. It curves down the atheist nature. Therefore, now Lord Chaitanya has appeared. Lord Buddha appeared, Lord Shankara appeared. Now Lord Chaitanya has appeared to solve the whole problem of this age. These other personalities may reform the people somewhat, but now Lord Chaitanya is going to solve the whole problem. Sankirtan Domain. Solve the whole problem. You know, Artha's desire to be elevated covers 
Buddha result, lust desires, elevation, lust. They want to satisfy their lust by religion. No, Vedic knowledge is fact. Although it may be written in a story form, it's a factual story. The demigods are factual, although they, they appear very fantastic in our conception. They're factual personalities. Contradictions like that, they have to be resolved by their child. So a neophyte is not expected to oscillate his mind to try to solve the contradictions of what people have done to the words of God. Since we're not authorities, how can we solve the problem? Then we have to go to an authority. Like Prabhupada says, thou shalt not kill is in the Bible. But they say, thou shalt not murder men. Not animals. Animals have no souls, and they're meant to be killed and eaten. So, Prabhupada comes to the conclusion, because he's a charya, that Bible says thou shalt not kill. But they say, it doesn't mean animals, it means only men. But he says, no, it means all thou shalt not kill. Emphatically, not kill anything. So in Acharya, he resolves the contradiction. We are not expected to have to resolve this contradiction. Yes, the teachings of Rupa Goswami are Sadhana Bhakti, devotional service and practice, leading to the realization of our original relationship with Krishna and the mellow of that loving exchange. So, a devotee of Rupa Goswami is called a Rupanuga. He's following in the footsteps of Rupa Goswami by practicing the regulated principles of Bhakti Yoga, the rules and regulations of deity worship, developing the saintly characteristics, all the things that are revealed in nature devotion. Right, just like you're tasting the Chanamrita, that's recommended by Rupa Goswami. You're seeing the deity, that's recommended by Rupa Goswami. Everything here is recommended by Rupa Goswami. You're associating with devotees, you're hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, you're chanting Hare Krishna. These are all these instructions of Rupa Goswami. And Prabhupada is teaching the same thing. So you're called Rupa Nuga, following the footsteps of Rupa Goswami. Rupa Goswami warns against this not following the principles of the revealed scriptures, becoming Sahidya, those who have imagined everything to be cheap and who have their own concocted ideas and do not follow the scriptural injunctions. So, we have to take Rupa Goswami's warnings as well as Rupa Goswami's encouragements, and then we'll be called Rupa Nuga. The whole nature of devotion is like that. It'll give something positive, then it'll give something negative. Something positive, something negative. You have to accept all these things. For example, it'll say, one can chant Hare Krishna and thus be relieved of thousands of sins, more than he could possibly commit. But then after that it says that if one commits sin on the strength of chanting Hare Krishna, then such a sinner can never be relieved. So it gives a positive, then it gives a negative. So one has to catch up this instruction that we're not dealing with simply rules and regulations, we're dealing with a person, Krishna. You get some positive, some negative, because you're dealing with a personality, you're dealing with Krishna. He has likes, he has dislikes. And you have to satisfy his likes and you have to avoid his dislikes. Then they are a demon and you're not to associate with them. 
you're supposed to have come to the platform of being a Madhya Madhakarya. That means one who associates with devotees, who offers his love and devotion to the Supreme Lord, he instructs the innocent, and he avoids the atheist demon. So anyone who is misinterpreting the scripture, who's against devotional service of the Lord, as expounded by the great Acharyas and St. Nicholas's, that man is considered demon he's not to be associated with. He just wants to stop you from doing devotional service. Suppose I come up to you and I say that you join my religion or you'll go to hell. And then if you ask me, well, what? All right, so I join your religion. Now, what do you want me to do different? Then I'll say, well, don't put that stuff on your forehead. Don't wear that sorry. Don't, wear, don't, 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 don't. I have nothing positive to offer you. I just want you to stop doing all these devotional activities. You accept Jesus Christ in your heart and stop all these devotional activities and you'll go to heaven. That is their philosophy. You simply accept this person and you become an American again and you go to heaven. Just see what a demon they are. He has nothing positive. He just wants to take your tilak off, take your sikha off, take your sari off, and put you back in American society. Eating chickens. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I was opening a temple in Austin, Texas. And some Christians were trying to preach to me in the street. I told them to get away from me. And so they tried their loving approach. Right. They came up to me. Brother, tonight we're having a wonderful dinner. And we just want you to come. You know? We don't want to argue with you. We just want you to come to this dinner. I said, oh, what are you having? They said, well, we're having 200 chickens. So I said, oh, I said, 200 chickens. I said, is Jesus going to be there? He said, well, yes. I said, he's going to be sitting at the head of the table? He said, yes. He said, well, then he says, if that is your conception of heaven, I said, then you can go on eating chicken forever. He says, but in our heaven, there's no such thing as chicken eating, animal killing, and our saintly persons certainly don't sit down it's such a nonsense meal. So I said, I don't want to come to your dinner. They're envious. They're demons. They have nothing to do but harm in the society. Actually, they should be killed, but since that's not possible in this age, you have to simply avoid them. That's a fact. Actually, they should all be killed. They're against devotional principles. They're against the scriptures. They're against the saints have their own motives. I just already mentioned that, that one should not be impressed by any mystic jugglery. One should be impressed by devotional service only. One who knows what is love of God knows that love of God means to be engaged in the service of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord, and the pastimes of the Lord. This mystic healing or mystic anything is all demonic. Exactly. Actually, they want to come to this state. Everyone originally wants to become Krishna conscious. But they dream up some hospital or some utopian concept that, oh, we'll build a hospital or we'll open an orphanage or we'll educate the world or we'll stop killing animals. Something like this. But that never is it. The real thing is what we're doing here, Krishna consciousness. Obviously. This is what they want, but they're unable to accept it because they're envious. Therefore, they dream up, oh, I'll open a hospital and become famous. They get envy for God. 
I'll become famous for what I do. They're unable to accept that. Not very much disturbance. You know. So don't be disturbed very much by these little volcanoes in the ocean of the ocean. Yes, you can always challenge them, but you're not to discuss with them. In other words, you don't debate with them. You don't. You just challenge them. That we say, "Thou shalt not kill," means "Thou shalt not kill all of you." And what everyone has to kill to maintain this body, that should be offered according to the rules of Scripture to God. Then, when we want to debate, we say, "No, we are not debating atheists." That is devotional service. Simply to appreciate the association of devotees. That is devotional service. So now you're feeling happy also, isn't it? And the idea is to keep your mind always fixed on Krishna's desires, the desires of your spiritual master, and always try to satisfy the devotees. Make that your business, always. How can I satisfy my God with how can I satisfy my God and sisters? Unless you do this, I see this tendency all over the society, especially recently, developing, that we treat one another too much as peers instead of as prabhus, as master. And we tend to neglect one another. We don't take care of each other's health. We don't take care of each other's physical needs as well as spiritual needs. We don't give each other enough instruction on the orders of Krishna, the pastimes of Krishna in the service of Krishna. So I think it would behoove all of us if we just try to fulfill this one injunction, and that is to offer respect to the devotees. If you don't offer respect to devotees, then you become what is called Vaishnava Aparam, an offender of the devotees. Just by neglecting the devotees, you become an offender of the devotees. And by doing so, your attachment to Krishna wanes. It becomes less and less. And you can know this because your mind will be more and more agitated for materialistic fulfillment. So you have to be very, very careful of fault-finding a pure type of feeling amongst your godbrothers and godsisters. And you have to treat everyone at all. They are the personal property of Mukhamini and Dorkadish. Then, if you think like that, and you touch their feet, offer obeisances, then automatically you'll, your mind will be clear. It's like the high sky. And you won't be able to have impure thoughts because you'll always be protected by Krishna being a friend of the devotees. So everyone should try to become a friend of the devotees, not antagonistic to devotees. If you do that, you're treading very dangerous water. Krishna does not forgive that kind of offense. Your attachment will definitely wane. And I've seen it happen lots of times. So you should all protect yourselves by being attentive to taking care of your godmothers, godsisters, being attentive to give them the respect which is due one who has surrendered his life in the service of the Lord. Obviously, if you respect a person who first comes here and does a little bit of devotional service, how much more should you respect your godmother and godsister who's giving their life and has been doing so for some time? So you should be very careful of this familiarity which breeds contempt. You have to avoid that by always keeping yourself in a servant position, not a familiar position, a servant position. And just like a sannyasi, everyone considers themselves servant of a sannyasi, isn't it? So, 
There's no familiarity breeds contempt because there's no argument between sermons. Only argument comes when we're peers, the so-called equal. Then the argument comes. My opinion, your opinion. But if our opinion is to satisfy Krishna by serving each other and engaging each other more and more in Krishna's service, then there's always that service attitude. Then there's no difficulty. Lord Chaitanya recommends that if we keep ourselves in a humble state of mind, we can chant the holy name of the Lord constantly. So herein lies the question. You have to chant constantly, but to do it, you have to be in a humble state of mind, which means you have to have developed a service attitude towards the devotees. So this is a great key to advancing in Christian consciousness. This is always going to be a difficulty because not everyone is on the same level. But the whole idea of Guru is that he's patient. He knows the disciples are all fools. Prophets said that many times. Most of you know, many times he said that you boys, what is your qualification? He says, nothing. But I'm simply praying to Krishna, please accept him. So therein lies our qualification that he's praying to Krishna. Please accept them. That is our qualification. Why? Because Krishna doesn't refuse the request of the pure devotee. If Krishna asks, if Krishna is requested by his pure devotee to accept us, then Krishna does so. Uh, there are many examples in Prabhupada's writings of this, especially his first poem, Coming to His Country. So, at his request, at his patience, we are advancing imperceptibly in devotional service. In other words, in spite of ourselves, in spite of all our bad qualities, he is developing our good qualities by his patient acceptance of what little bit we can do under his instructions. So, therein lies the solution to all the problems. You align yourself with the patient mercy of the Guru, and you exhibit that same patient mercy to everyone else, then you become a representative of you become a Guru. Do you see how Prabhupada treats particular persons? Just like if a rascal impersonalist comes in the room, Prabhupada says, get him out. So, if a rascal impersonalist comes in, he doesn't want to hear, he wants to speak all nonsense, you do the same. Get him out. We had an example the other day in our bus. The same thing. Then, if you see a devotee is having some problem, you watch how Prabhupada treats them, or you hear from an older brother, brother how Prabhupada treats them, then you also treat them in that way. Or when you exhibit the same patient mercy that Guru exhibits, you become Guru. You have to catch up the example, the instructions of your Guru. If you don't exhibit that mercy, if you become fanatically hard on some particular issue or some particular person, and you don't exhibit the same mercy that the spiritual master exhibits, then you're not, you're not good. So you have to be very careful that you learn from older devotees. This is why I wrote Prabhupada recently. I don't think the older devotees are associating enough with the younger devotees in order to imbue them with the same patient acceptance that Prabhupada extends to the world so that they can also become guru in that same way. And Prabhupada replied to Brahmananda that yes, this is the difficulty in our society. That the older devotees are not taking enough time with the younger devotees in order to imbue them with the attitudes 
of our spiritual master towards particular consciousness and situations in the world. We're not to tolerate things that are, which are against the message of devotional love. We're not supposed to tolerate them. We're not supposed to be like mush, just listening to nonsense and just losing our strength from doing that. We're supposed to be strong. If a rascal comes in, get him out. Like that. Just like problem, doesn't But because we come from a very mushy society, we say, oh, well, let him walk around to all nonsense. We don't have to kick him out. Uh, that won't be showing him mercy. That's the highest mercy to represent Guru. And similarly, if you see some devotee is having some difficulty, but they rendered so much curse in the past, you shouldn't condemn them. You should do as our Guru does. He accepts, oh, you've done so much in the past. Ask me anything. I'll give it to you. I've seen him do that. Some devotee falls down. Prabhupada calls to see him. You've rendered so much curse in the past. Ask anything from me. I'll give it to you. I've seen that. That is representing Guru. Therefore, older devotees that know this have to associate with younger devotees and imbue them with this understanding. <laughs> yes, they should be tested. That's the thing. We had that example in the bus the other day. The boy was there. He was, took some prasadam and then he started speaking all nonsense. And we asked him to reform his attitude and we explained to him what a spiritual master actually is. He became offended. Then we had to kick him out. So yes, one should have that discrimination. Therefore, older devotees have to associate with younger devotees to give them that discrimination, show them that discrimination. Okay.